A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Reverend Chambers. Well, my friends, it is a delight to be with you in worship. Today, we begin a six-week series on the concept of epiphany. Last week, we celebrated the great Christian feast day of epiphany, and so we are calling this series Realizations. And it is by serendipity, I think, that on Monday I titled this sermon, Realizing Political Resistance. And then later in the week we saw some politics and resistance and all manner of behavior that falls into categories of things that bother us and make us feel squeamish talking about at dinner parties. I can assure you my aim was never on Monday or is it now to be partisan when I talk about political resistance. However, I do believe it the case that God is making himself known to us and God is asking us to work in this world in a certain way, and that is a certain sense of politics. So I pray for your patience as we walk through this, and then for the weeks to come that you would be open-minded and open-hearted to hear about what the Spirit is making us realize today about how God wants to break in in fresh ways. Before we dive in, let us pray. Creator God, we are so very thankful for this day of life, that we have breath in our lungs, that we woke up again is a gift. God, we acknowledge that we're not always so faithful with this gift of life, and there are many times that we are wayward and unwise. Indeed, we are sinful, foolish. But we also believe, and it's the shape of our corporate confession. Then when we were the furthest from you, you sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself. And we are indeed grateful. You sent your son Christ to cultivate in our hearts a desire for your kingdom ways above the ways of the world. In like manner, we believe that you sent your Holy Spirit as our guide and friend to illumine our minds and hearts and to make us into a community of care. Indeed, we are grateful for that gift of grace as well and ask God that you in this very hour here in this place and all around this city and country and world where people listen, send your spirit freshly. For you and I know that without you I can do nothing. Help us to realize anew what it means to follow you in this world of uncertainty, of strife, of darkness, of pain. We have our hope in you. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's saints say everywhere, Amen. 
The Virginian W.C. Reeves appealed to President Lincoln. He said to him, Please give up Forts Sumter and Pickens. Abraham Lincoln was witty. He looked Reeves in the eye. He was quiet. And then he said, Mr. Reeves, do you remember Aesop's fable of the cowardly lion? Reeves was honest. No, I don't. So Lincoln began to tell him the tale of this lion who began to fall in love with a woodsman's daughter. The lion petitioned the woodsman for the daughter's hand, and the woodsman looked the lion over and said, No, your teeth are too long. They're too sharp. You're too dangerous. And so that lion went off to the dentist and had the dentist extract the teeth. Later, the lion went back to the woodsman, petitioning again for the young woman. The lion was looked over by the woodsman, and he saw the long, sharp claws. And the woodsman again said, no, your claws are too long and too sharp. You are too dangerous. And so the lion went back to the dentist and had the claws extracted from his paws. And for a third time, the lion approached the woodsman, petitioning the hand of the young woman. The woodsman looked the lion over head to toe. No teeth, no claws. And so the woodsman beat the lion to death. Lincoln looked at Reeves in the eyes and said, May it not be so with me if I give up all that I ask. You can look through the Old Testament and see images of a lion representing God. It's a powerful image throughout the Old Testament for the divine one who protects the people. And that image of God has bled into literature and to much of the imagination of the Christian tradition, all the way into the fantasy literature of C.S. Lewis in the 20th century. There in the Chronicles of Narnia is a character named Aslan the lion. Aslan represents the divine. In some cases, Aslan represents the Christ figure. In other cases, Aslan is God the Father, and in others still, God the Spirit. But divinity nonetheless. And in Narnia, this is what they say about Aslan. He is not a tame lion. Oh, Aslan is good, but not safe, because Aslan is not a tame lion. Let me suggest for the moment that I believe, and I think it true, that much of contemporary and modern Christianity wishes to be tame, domesticated. We aim a lot of times to take the teeth and the claws away from God. We want God to be likable and approachable, not hard or tough. We want to make God tame. Personally, this means that we often reduce God and our faith in God into a sort of personal and private experience. It's my faith. If that's so, and again, I think it is, then that means that we as the church lose the ability to fulfill the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if it's true, and I believe it is, then it means we lose the ability to speak of the events of January 6th, 2021. 
We keep faith relegated to the margins in our private thought life and our own piety. And so the only language we then have to speak about such events in our nation's capital are reducible, again, to secular, sectarian, partisan, political ideologies and other idols. What happened on January the 6th, 2021? We all know that there was an election. The sitting president, President Donald Trump, did not win that election. There's a new president, president-elect Biden, and there are lots of people happy and there's lots of people upset, and that is the same thing that happens every time we have an election. This was the day that the Congress was to uh, vote on, or I guess put a stamp of approval on an electoral college. And President Trump rallied some troops over social media to march down Pennsylvania Avenue. Indeed, I believe he said he would be with them. So a group gathered to demonstrate, and they walked and protested peacefully down Pennsylvania Avenue. And like me, I'm sure you watched as it got nearer and nearer this crowd to the steps of our nation's capital, the house of the people, they call it. This is national sacred ground. And the protest and demonstration became something else. It became what some people have called a coup, an insurrection, coup-like. I don't know what it was. It was extremism for sure, and it was violent as people from this crowd overcame the barriers. And we all watched and wondered, why, why is there not more security? That's curious to me. Why, why isn't there more security? Where is everybody at? And they break in, and they begin running the halls and desecrating what to our nation is sacred. One member of our congregation has a storied career, and one of her stops was to work in leadership in our Senate. She wrote me an email, and I could hear tears in her email as she mentioned to me that her old office had been broken into and defamed. I could hear her brokenheartedness as she reflected on images of people crawling up and down walls that are etched with memorials of Scripture and providence language and language about the mission and hope and dreams of this country. And my heart broke and sank too. And like so many, I sat there wondering, who is going to stop this? I yearned for our president to, to actually stand up loudly in that moment and say, cease and desist. Lives were lost in this event. What happened to our country was tragic, but what else happened on that day, I might suggest to you, was a tragedy for our faith. You see, I believe that our faith, our Christian faith, was co-opted that day. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> make no mistake, wherever you have faith, you have symbol, and wherever you have symbol, you have power, and people like to co-opt or use symbols for other means. Theologians, we like to call this instrumental religion, using the elements of religion for, uh, as an instrument, as a tool for something else usually power. You see, for us, though, the Christian faith is not a, an, a, an end to another, a means to an end. It is an end unto itself. It connects us to God. 
I saw flags with crosses, and I saw uh, uh, scriptures being floated about this extremist crowd. The scriptures, by the way, do not match the activity at all. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to see that. Yet, these images and these scriptures and these things are co-opted to make a point. Have you ever seen that movie? I, I think it's called... Um, well, I'm dropping the name of the movie right now, forgive me. It has Denzel Washington in it, and it's in a post-apocalyptic world, and he's walking from one end of the country to the, to the other. He's blind. It's called Book of Eli. We don't know what his mission is, but there's a villain in a story named, played by Gary Oldman, and he's the last guy in his little burg who can read. Generations have followed him who are now illiterate, and he sends out raiding parties to bring back piles of books and put them at his feet. He's looking for one book in particular, one book that would solidify his power. The penultimate time they go out and come back, he's disgusted with them, and they say, well, how do we know what we're supposed to find because we can't read? And he goes like this. He shows a sign of a cross with his fingers. He goes, if you see a book that has something like this on it, that's the one I want. He knew. He knew if he could find the sacred book of the Bible and hold it up for his purposes. He knew that it, what, what was inside of it could help him win the hearts and minds of people so that they would follow him. It was for the sake of power. I'm saddened because on that day I saw images of my faith used in destruction and violence and for the pursuit of power. And going back to my favorite president, Abraham Lincoln, Elton Trueblood, a great religious thinker of the 20th century, wrote this incredible theology of Lincoln's. He said there was a mysticism in Lincoln about our country. He said that Lincoln was very happy to be patriotic, to be proud of where you're from, to be grateful that we're born here in America, but he was always against nationalism because our nation is fallible. And Lincoln also said, my party is fallible and my platform is fallible. If you put too much hope in these fallible things, you're missing the mark. They're becoming idols instead of things that serve us to get us to a more perfect union. What else happened on January 6th? Well, I think what we saw was the fetish for rage culture and the fetish that we have for being heroic. It seems to me today that it's not enough to be in disagreement seems to me that we're, it's not enough to call out wrongness and correct it. It seems that we have to be full of rage. I'm not even going to give you examples. You know them. They are ubiquitous. But we also have this fetish for putting ourselves in the heroic position. The author and journalist Malcolm Gladwell says this. He talks about Anytime someone rehearses their story, they almost always put themselves in the role of the hero or on the side of the heroes. We tend to think of ourselves as goodies. Hardly ever we think of ourselves as the baddies. Why do we think that we are always right? Let me submit to you that it would be a profound cultural experiment, and let me submit that it is indeed a Christian one for us to delve deeply into the mode of reflection and investigation. There's not enough of it. There's not enough of, 
of, of us as human beings asking, am I on the side of truth here? Or peeling back my own layers to say, why do I have this assumption? Where did this come from? Is the point of view on which I stand even on solid ground? We do a lot to confirm our own bias, bias, biases. That's human nature. But we don't do enough of the self-work or even the investigation of the world work. Biblical scholars would say we need to have a hermeneutics of love rather than the hermeneutics of suspicion. We need to hear people's stories and experiences, and we need to truly, deeply understand. We tend to just think we're right. That's a problem. That's why Father Richard Rohr, a Franciscan spirituality writer today, says that the most enduring spirituality legacy of the American people is the 12-step program. Because it's one of the fewest place, few places in our world where we start off questioning ourselves and where we start off not being right. There are seldom other places where we start off not being right. And let me ring the bell of danger. If we think we're right, but we're in all actuality on the side of wrong, really dark things can occur. I got a photograph sent to me by our sister church in D.C., National City Christian Church. It's a beautiful old church situated in a wonderful part of D.C., beautiful staircase right up there. I mean, this is where Garfield went. This is where Lyndon Baines Johnson went. This is where Ronald Reagan went to church. They're a pretty socially active congregation. On the front steps, they have banners that say Black Lives Matter. Someone snapped a photo of these extremists. There was two of them on the steps. One of them lying down on his stomach like he's George Floyd, and another one kneeling on his neck like he's that police officer. Not only mocking Black Lives Matter, but mocking the concrete, irreplaceable life of another person. If you think you're right, and you're actually on the side of wrong, ugly things occur. The last thing I think I'll acknowledge that I saw as I watched with you the horrors of that day is an expression of a new and alternative religion, conspiracy theory. They have been growing a lot for the last 25 years. I saw lots of QAnon supporters. I don't know if you've heard of QAnon. I've been following it for a number of years. I don't really wish to get into the conspiracy. I just want to say this to everybody who can hear me. By logic and experience, I'll never understand why people believe that so many people can keep such dark, dark, dark secrets from so many other people. I have never, ever experienced this level of secrecy in my life, and I'm in the ministry. People talk. There's even no evidence for any of this stuff. But I do get conspiracy theories. I do get them. They're very seductive, and here's the reason why I believe, I submit to you. The world doesn't make a lot of sense. The world is often out of control, and if there is a grand conspiracy that makes us feel like things are, in fact, somewhere in control. And the other seductive part is it tells me what side I'm on, and I can point to the side of the villain, which is always tempting. Colleen and I were watching a documentary on 
the Congress last night, and everybody said polarizing, villainizing the other is good money for everybody. People who lose are the population. Well, that's enough. We must pause. We must stop for a moment and be reminded that Abraham Lincoln shares something in common with God. And I think it's that God does not want to give up all that God has asked for, too. And if you claim the name of Christ, if you wear the mantle of your Savior, well, God has asked for a lot. And so we turn our attention to theology, to the Scriptures again. What else was January the 6th, 2021? Well, it was that great feast day in the calendar called Epiphany, the end of Christmas. And you might be saying, what's Epiphany again? Well, it's in the name. Epiphany is about a realization, hence the title of our sermon series. It's about divine illumination. It's that grand aha God has come to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. We tend to celebrate with images of the Nativity and the Magi offering gifts. Or we celebrate Jesus' baptism where the heavens open and God declares to all onlookers, this is my Son. I'm pleased with Him. Or we celebrate by thinking about how the Holy Spirit comes to make us realize new realities. That's what we come to think on today. You see, we pick up the story in Acts where St. Paul's in Ephesus, and he comes across some Christians, and he says, brothers, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And they replied, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. By the way, just as an aside, that cracks me up. It's just like, oh, there's another thing. And he says, yes, well, what baptism were you baptized into? They tell them John the Baptist, and, and Paul's pleased, because John's baptism was, was one of new life. It was one of a new path. You, you go in these waters, and you come out, and you go down a different and better and holier direction. It's a good start. But to be baptized into Jesus is the fulfillment of what John set up, and so they're baptized into Jesus, thus they would receive the Holy Spirit. And when they do... They begin to speak in tongues, and they begin to prophesy. There's some things for us to sort out here to understand what's going on. I, I submit to you that all of us in our culture have some knowledge of tongues, even if you're unchurched. You've heard about them, or you've seen on television uh, at a, a church service where they've taken place, or you've been present. We tend to think about tongues as this phenomenon that happens in certain kinds of churches. The services are lively, they're ecstatic, and worshipers will utter things that you can't render intelligible by your own ear. And so we tend to kind of assume that tongues are this inward, personal, pietistic expression of my closeness or your closeness with God. But let me submit to you, they can be that, but if we read the book of Acts carefully, there's much more going on with tongues. Tongues take place wherever there's a, a disciple or somebody who's got the good news, the good news of God, and they give it in their own tongue, whether it's Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. And the receiver, the listener, doesn't speak the same language. 
hears that good news in their very own. And that way, speaking in tongues is really practical. It does its part to expand the circle and include people who have other tongues from other nations, from other colors, into the fold. I think prophecy is very similar for us. Whether or not we've been in church or not, we have some notion of prophecy, whether it's from a book or a film or something. We tend to think of prophecy as, as predicting the future in some way. But let me suggest to you, if you did a cursory study from Genesis to Revelation of areas of prophecy, what you would tend to find more often than not is an occasion where the Word of God would come to a person to address a topic or situation. Oftentimes, the Word of God came to a prophet to speak truth to power or to give voice to the voiceless, to speak about injustice, to lift up the lowly because they have been oppressed by the powerful. The reason why we tend to think of prophecy as future-oriented is very often the prophets work like this. They say things like, if you don't do this or that, if you don't change your ways, then God will do this to you. Leviticus, for instance, not a prophetic book. No one thinks of it that way, yet there's prophecy in it. God says, if you do not allow the land its Sabbath, I will remove you. So it will receive its Sabbath. There is a realization taking place in the life of these disciples because of the Holy Spirit. And it's a realization that's fallen hard on me this week. Tongues and prophecy are not mere private, pietistic, spiritual tools that show how close I am to God. They're political. They're political because they have to do with the other. I want you to think about that when we think about the events of January the 6th, 2021. I'm hearing a lot of America first, our party first, our side first. I'm hearing a lot of us, us versus them. But the language of the, the, the gospel, the givenness of tongues means that it's not us first. It means that the others are to be included into the narrative. Others are to be brought forward to the same table that we've been invited to dine at. It's not for my color or your color, my country or your country, my, my party or yours. It's for all people. When I think about the prophecy aspect of this, I think about people who, who walk on Epiphany in MAGA hats, thinking about power differently than people who are called Magi. The Magi come on Epiphany and they bend the knee to the truly most powerful thing we could ever witness, God made flesh. Yet, we imagine power in our world as taking something by force. I don't know what you saw on that day, but I saw people who think that they were on the side of right and perhaps thought they were speaking truth to power. Perhaps they thought they were acting in the prophetic stance. Let me suggest that God wants us to be a peaceable people in a peaceable kingdom. 
Instead of acting in violence and destruction, God wants us to speak on behalf of other people and for other people and walking with other people and sometimes bending the knee before people. Let today be a day of realization for us all that God has called us to think about this world differently. God doesn't give up His teeth and claws. He wants to make this world new. And He's called you and He's called me to be part of this renewal, which means sometimes acknowledging that we got a fair shake, a better shake than other people. Other people got a raw deal, and we ought to stand up for the people who have a raw deal by lifting them up, by walking with them in peace, in harmony, and with love. May the Holy Spirit cause many new realizations to fall upon your hearts and ever bring you to more peace, to more love, as you include more people to the table of our Lord where there is nothing but peace and love and hope.